on this episode of the Photography News Podcast, Cold Snaps, Woodland Scares and Christmas Lights Chaos. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Photography News Podcast, our 33rd. My name is Roger Payne and I'm the Editorial Director at Photography News. And in light of the fact that December is just around the corner, I thought I'd introduce my colleagues based on who is most likely to have an advent calendar ready and waiting to open. So without further ado, let me introduce the editor of Photography News, Mr. Will Chung. Hi, Will. Hi, Rog. Hi, Kingsley. And how wrong you are. I do not have an advent calendar. Oh, you don't have an advent calendar. I Absolutely thought you'd be not. like a kind of a chocolate advent calendar kind of man, all lined up and ready to go, no? No. Well, having said that, Annie has just shouted out, how do I know whether I've got an advent calendar or not? So maybe ah. I do have an advent calendar. Yes, and of course, Will, you are joining us from a different location. You are at your partner Annie's house, which is... Uh, been quite an interesting uh, an interesting new look behind you you've got a different bookshelf behind you which is uh, which is nice to see full so, of games from yeah. the 80s i think <laughs> computer games from the 80s so kingsley will know them very well by day <laughs> excellent well lovely to have you on board and welcome also to well who i thought was least likely to have an event calendar lined up and ready to go contributing editor mr kingsley singleton hi kingsley hello how, how are you guys all right yes Good, thank you. I think we're good. Uh, Advent calendar? Yes? No? Yeah, I, no, I don't. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't believe in any of that stuff. I'm, 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 I'm very much a kind of a. I'm. I don't like to use the word pagan because that suggests that um, organised religion is the correct version of things. But I'm very much in the midwinter festival, uh, you know, the Yule um, side of things. And um, I don't know whether the kind of. I don't know whether the early Britons had some form of advent calendars with rocks and worms in them or something but um at least they, they probably didn't create all the unnecessary mess and uh, waste of cheap chocolate and other well, things well to complete a triumvirate of bar humbug i also don't have an advent calendar but hey maybe you never know i've got one coming up go on Kingsley. I, i'd just like to point out that this this bookshelf that's visible behind will also doesn't hold any of will's numerous books no I it doesn't with annie being one of his biggest fans i thought there might be a kind of a selection of signed tomes there but Look, please don't give it away she might get one for her crazy you know, crazy stocking so <laughs> you've got 24 of them for an advent calendar all lined up. <laughs> and soon those shelves will be creaking uh, to the tomes written by Will. I don't think you've written 24 books, have you, Will? No, I wish I had. <laughs> well, let's uh, kick off the podcast as we normally would, which is a quick discussion about what we've been photographing since we uh, since we last got together. Actually, because the last podcast we did was based around reader questions, we didn't. We actually bypassed the what we've been photographing. So it's been a little while since we had a photography chat. So Kingsley, let me come to you first. Um, you've just hot-footed it back from Devon to get um, to get in front of a microphone to record this. So presumably your camera has been out and active while you've been down by the sea. Yeah, no. Well, I did actually. I suppose. I mean, I, I did. I did some. I did some shots on the beach of um, dogs running around, and I did some coastal landscapes. But probably the most novel thing was I about half 10 11 o'clock I decided to launch myself out to the local wood or through the local wood to it which overlooks sort of an estuary um 
and to, to do some astro pictures but um but did, didn't hadn't taken my star tracker because i thought because of storm arwen being in town i thought there'd be no clear skies but but the the rule of the astro tracker proved uh proved true once again in that wherever it is uh, clear skies will be otherwise otherwise otherwhere okay so no, so no clear skies no, no, there were clear skies because I didn't have the Astro Tracker. So like, oh, I see. Like, like, Sorry. Yeah. Here, like back up here in Lincolnshire, there probably was like thunderstorms and volcanoes going off and stuff. <laughs> but, like in Devon, it was it was a, a clear view right to the galactic centre. So you went for a um, a long exposure approach, a star trail style approach, did you? No, no, I don't. I mean, I don't really um, I don't really do star trails. I don't. Um, this is probably a rant for a different time. I don't really get star trails. I, I don't. Like that's not how people see the world, is it? I understand traffic trails because I think they represent the kind of the futile and aggressive movement of humans. But um, star trails, I mean, like it's sort of I don't know. I don't. It's not how you see the world. Th these are more. Um, th th these are just stars in the landscape sort of thing. So like you know, starry skies. There was a, I mean, it was particularly bright. Um, Orion was particularly visible. I mean, as it often is. But one of the things that you find then with when you set up for astrophotography is that you you know you 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 always collect more information than you can see with the naked eye so what i i sort of started off thinking oh that'd be a great picture of you know orion ab above this sort of estuary um and then obviously what you get is loads more stars so sometimes you have to dial it back a bit and just pick out the brightest stars like if, if that's what you want and are you happy with the results or have you not had a chance to review just yet <laughs> No, I'm not massively happy with them. That's all part of the journey, isn't it? Um, well, I, 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 no, they're okay. They're, like technically, they're fine. They're, they're just um, one of the things that I didn't do, which I meant to do, was like earlier in the day, I'd walked the same path, and I, there are a couple of bits where I was going to go back and specifically shoot from that point, but in the middle of the night. And it was a moonless night, so obviously it's even you know, it's darker than usual. It was kind of it was a bit tricky to find like exactly where I I, I wanted to be. So they're, they're not like compositionally they're not as not 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 sort of quite where um, where I wanted them. I, fabulously frightening as well, walking through a, a, a wood at night in a. I, I was going to say that that's a little that's quite. I, I would have to admit that's quite brave of you because that's all a bit a bit too Blair Witch for my liking. Well, there's there's yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's the spec. You know, it's it's about sort of. I mean, I enjoyed it because it's like you start sort of you know convince like fooling yourself into you know raising your blood pressure a bit, don't you? I mean, like the the real danger down there would be the fact that it's actually owned by a load of um, people that run like a pheasant shooting business so you're more likely to get shot in the arse with a shotgun <laughs> than you are attacked by a kind of a, a ladle swinging witch kind of coming out of the scrub um but it was fun it was it was good it's good it's good to get out and do something unusual but K kingsley you going through a wood at night i would have thought would have been a perfect recipe for you to fall over <laughs> something or other and break a camera or a bit of a filter or something. But you, are you telling me you walked through the wood without falling over and any any physical mishap? I can't think of anything that happened. I, pro I might have dropped something. I mean, oh, I, yes, I, have I you opened stuff. your gadget bag since you've been back? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did notice the other day I noticed that I was walking around and I had it, it was like half unzipped. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> but fortunately, nothing had fallen out. But no, well, no broken bones, no curses, no shotgun wounds or anything like that. Well, uh, just to just to jump in, I mean, I also have been out in the dark in a in in a wooded area, but um, in a slightly different sort of situation. 
in the I paid a visit to a local uh, national trust property to me, a place called Ickworth House. Um, and I think there's as a, as a number of places are doing at this time of the year, um, they're sort of illuminating their gardens. And there's like a sort of a, a prescribed walk that you can wander around the gardens and it's all beautifully illuminated uh, trees and shrubs and all this sort of stuff with multicolored lights. And then they'd lit up part of the house, the rotunda on the part of the house, the side of the house, which uh, looked rather special. So, of course, I took a camera along with me. But bearing in mind it was a, a public event and a national trust property, I decided to leave the tripod at home. And that was probably a fairly a fairly important error on my part, because <laughs> although the bright the lights seemed quite bright when it came mm. to it, it, they actually weren't that bright at all. And so what I managed to achieve was a series of fairly shaky long <laughs> handheld shutter speed attempts um i got about two or three images i was happy with but no more than that i'm i'm kind of i mean i'm, I'm wondering actually what the kind of like the, the supposition so it's national trust was it mm. I, I, the, the supposition is that like is that there, there would be like a like a posse of national trust wardens around stopping people putting tripods down well indeed there were there were a number of um ladies and gentlemen in high vis vests but they were largely i think to to stop people falling over um and making sure they were staying on the right route but i'm sure i was pretty sure that if i broke out a tripod mm. um, and i think from previous experience that um, I believe the National Trust do view you as a professional if you own a tripod. But it was it was good fun. I mean, if you've got one that they, these a lot of properties tend to do these um, these sort of well lit walks uh, in the run up to Christmas. So if there's one local to you, I'd urge you to go along because it, it did look rather fabulous. It's just that my, my sadly my pictures didn't didn't uh, replicate it quite so well. So Will, moving on to you. Currently we're we're uh, we're zero for two in terms of uh, we've done well on our photographic exploits. So um, so hopefully you can uh, restore some balance and tell us what you've been up to. Well, I've been up to lots of things, but j just to go back, Roger, to the National Trust, I, I think we're thinking back to what it was like a few years ago when they were up in arms about photographers and people selling their work. I think they're much more relaxed now, especially, the, you know, the way photography has grown. I mean, going back to the National Trust, I remember that was a time of film and people like Joe Cornish were going around doing lots of money photographing for the Trust. Mm. Um, but I think, if, you know, with the tripod, if you shoot it for yourself, I don't think it's an issue. But the, obviously the bigger issue is that your tripod might trip up one of their guests and they fall over and then sue sue them i mean that's a different issue but i think legally I, I think they're much more relaxed but in terms of what i've been doing um i had a week off i went to wales i went to mid wales and the reason behind that was simply um, my peer project which is still ongoing i wanted to go to aberystwyth in mid wales because that was a peer i hadn't yet photographed or indeed i've never been to Ab aberystwyth until this time um so i went there and that was the primary reason i went there but also then we moved up to north wales and we went to carnarvon and to Menai, uh, and I wanted to photograph the pier at Bangor, which is okay, which I've got some shots of previously, but they weren't very good, and also Beaumaris Pier, but um, the weather intervened. So, I mean, Aberystwyth is okay. I, I didn't get any great shots there, but I've got something which I can use. Typically, whereas we had lots and lots of rain. Can I ask about the, the pier project insofar What's as, are you shooting, have you shot, like, the same pier several times having sort of wanting to revisit something and shoot it differently are you doing stuff twice because you didn't like it first time around is what i'm trying to say maybe no, no, i mean that's a very good question i mean the peer project there's an idea i had a few years back and i thought what i wanted to do is photograph every surviving peer as defined by the national peer society i did peers like felix though which are relatively local to me to like 80 miles down the road 
Um, and I photographed Felix Stone, and then I heard through the National Peer Society newsletter that they had a revamp. So I ended up going there again. And of course, I have been to various places where the weather conditions weren't right at the time. So yes, I will have to go back. And also, I've noticed on the peer site recently is that some peers have appeared on there which weren't on there previously. Uh, <laughs> you mean, hang on, are you are you suggesting that peers are being built? <laughs> uh, well, indeed, some are. Well, some are being renovated, and of course, some have been um, destroyed by the weather. So, for instance, Colwyn Bay was on the National Peers website, but it's no longer on the National Peers website. And the one that has appeared is. Um, the one at Super, uh, Western Supermare, uh, Revo, I think it's called. Right. Um, so there are some peers which I want to go back to, uh, but I've mostly covered them now. I've done 51 out of 61, right. believe it or not. So the ones that are outstanding are like, like in Scotland. Rog, do you fancy, we should put them on mute for a minute. Do you fancy a little <laughs> a little gamble on this? Well, and whether we'll finish it? Or, or, or maybe when it might be, like, so 20, you know, 2023. <laughs> 2024. So where where are the outstanding ten? Three in Scotland, two in the northeast of England, uh, one on the Isle of Man, um, and I think there's um, some others which I want to repeat. Like uh, Southampton is being renovated, and the, the shots I got weren't very good. Uh, Burnham on Sea, my shots weren't very good. Um, the Sutford I mentioned one at Western Supermare is not very good. So it, it, they still tend to go, but it, it could be like painting the fourth road bridge to be honest is that sort of project i'm i'm, I'm tempted to feel that that's exactly that i don't think you're going to complete that will um it's not that i'm it's not that i'm down on you in any way you've done tremendously well to get to 51 but i can't see you completing that but hey if you do maybe we could if you did complete it what i'd like to see you do is is then make a set of top trumps out of it so that you can uh, have a, have your image and all the facts about the peers that would be uh, that would be quite fun. What is the longest pier that you've photographed so far? Longest pier it must be South End, I think. Is that I mean, right? It, and yeah, there's a terrific pier. There's a train on there as well, of course. So you can jump with the train and get to the end. And can I just ask one more pier-related question, which is: Is there a minimum length that a pier needs to be in order to become a pier? I, I don't. To be honest, I don't know how the National Pier Society define it because it's, some of them are quite random, and some piers I've been to are very, very short and. Some of them are derelict. They're not very nice at all. Um, but, you know, for instance, if you go to, I think it's Weymouth Bandstand Pier, that's quite short. In fact, you can't actually, there's no pier to actually stand on because it's an Italian uh, pizza restaurant. Right. So it's like, uh. and if you go to the Hapenny Pier at Harwich, I mean, that's that's not, not much of a pier. So there are some piers which are definitely more, more, more enjoyable to photograph than others. Right. Um, okay. But that's, that's part of the fun. It's quite the fun of turning up at a new location and having to deal with, stuff you know i do a little bit of research but i don't deal with that much and just turning up with the conditions and having to deal with it but the thing is about wales though roger as i said i mean the piers was okay but actually i had most fun in a couple of places where we went um and photographed butterflies wow. because the rain was so the, the weather was so so horrible we just went inside so there's a butterfly farm near Aberystwyth we went to and that was rather fun we, I, we spent i don't know three or four hours in there uh, in the nice, warm, cosy feeling of a greenhouse, uh, photographing exotic species, and that, that was, I really enjoyed that actually. Despite yeah, myself. I've done that myself. It is quite, it is quite fun, isn't it? And they they do tend to settle and stay in one place for a while, which is quite handy, really. Yeah, I mean, this place we went to in Aberystwyth, they're encouraging us to um, to pick the things up. I mean, not grabbed by the wings or anything, but you know, if you hold your hand out, 
yeah. they, they would move onto your hand. And it was just, uh, I mean, photographically, it was, it was difficult because the, the temperature, color temperature was difficult and the, the light conditions were difficult. But um, it was just fun, just fun. And that's what it's all about. Excellent. Well, that's yeah. good news. So at least somebody got something worthwhile out of their photographic exploits, which is great. So um, just before we move on, Will, why don't you also just dive in and tell us about the latest issue? We are recording on the 29th of November, and I believe that uh, an issue has just become available. Or it is at least available online, if not in stores as yet. That's right. Well, it's our, it's our double issue, which is the one which actually makes up for the fact there is no issue in December itself. So um, in it, it's, we've, we've got the uh, encouragement for our readers to vote for the PN Awards again, which is voting for the best kits and best services in the country. Um, so that's been running for a couple of months. But, um, you know, we got until I think it's January the 5th, 2022, to place your vote. So please go online and, and register your vote. We've also got um, a, a Christmas winner's buyer's guide, which is basically um Lots of photographic present ideas for our readers. And also I've been testing in there the Fujifilm GFX50S Mark II, which is a medium format camera, which of course sounds hideously expensive, but remarkably this one isn't. You can buy it with a, the new standard zoom, the 35 to 70, um, for £3,800. And that's remarkable for a medium format camera. Um, but mm. that's um, a big test and that's in the issue too. And um, yeah, I have to say I really enjoy using it. So uh, impressions of that are that it's a bit of a bargain, Will? I mean, £3,800, it's difficult to call that a bargain, I guess. But image quality-wise, I presume it's if it's if it's like the other stuff that Fujifilm have produced, it'll be it'll be up there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So for the, the user word bargain, because in these uh, cash-strapped times, uh, when, when we're sort of urge of dipping maybe into another lockdown uh, with the pandemic, it's difficult to say... Uh, uh, a camera is, is great value, but that is £3,800. And indeed, something else I tested in the issue, which I'd also is great value, but it's gained us a lot of money. And that's a new Canon RF 100 to 500 millimeter zoom lens. Um, and, and that is selling for around oh, £3,300, I think, which is again a hell of a lot of money, but it's hell of a lens. I was really impressed by it. Excellent. Well, so special double issue out now. Um, the best uh, you can either get that, pick that up in store, or uh, uh, the other option is to go online to photographynews.co.uk, where you'll be able to read the magazine digitally. All you have to do is give us your email address, and we'll give you an entire magazine for nothing. While we're also talking about all things digital, we also uh, have photography news on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and the handle for all three of those is at Photo News PN. It's worth me just mentioning our previous chat about advent calendars. We have put together a photography news podcast advent calendar, which will be appearing on primarily on Instagram. Um, so every day for the next 24 days, starting on or 25 days even, starting on December the 1st, we will have a we're going back and looking back at old episodes of the Photography News podcast for you to open and enjoy. So if you fancy taking a, uh, a retrospective listen to some of the stuff that we've rambled on about in the past, then make sure you uh, follow our Instagram feed, which once again is at PhotoNewsPN. So moving on, um, let's talk a little bit about the weather. Because inspired by the fact that I'm currently um, living in a house that's got no heating, and also I went for a walk today hoping to warm up a little bit and found it was absolutely freezing outside, 
I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about um, taking images in cold weather. We've we've covered off bad weather before, but not specifically cold weather. Obviously, as Will's already alluded to, we've had Storm Arwen storm across the country and um, you know leave a, a load of snow, um, ice, frost across and in its wake. So Kingsley, I'm going to come to you first because. I've um, I've noticed on your Instagram feed in the past that you have been out and about um, with your camera when the snow has fallen. So let's talk about snow first. What is your plan then? So when you when you do you wait until you just open the curtains and it's like, hey, the snow, or would you check the weather forecast beforehand and then plan to go out the following day? Well, first, thanks for coming to my Instagram uh, page. Yeah, I followed and then unfollowed. Yeah, thanks very much for that too. Um, <laughs> I would say that I'm 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 always I'm probably always a bit more reactive to those things rather than rather than planning. But I think that when confronted with snowfall, you 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 have to act quite quickly, especially if you're a bit of a a bit of a kind of a fascist in terms of it. Like like I I, I hate it when it's all cut up, you know. So I want to be down there before everyone else has tramped through it and and messed everything up. Even though I mean to be honest, I I would. I would be fully admitting of the fact that I've done some sort of judicious kind of cloning and healing on occasion to sort of like pretty up like a, a sort of a perfect snowfield. Um little bit. I'm not talking about like the 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 paintbrush tool set to hundred percent white and just <laughs> painting all over the <laughs> foreground, but like just just a little bit of smartening up, you know. Um so yeah, I I mean I would say you know, get. I mean, obviously, the the optimum for that is overnight snowfall and making sure you're up for the dawn. You know, before too many people kind of start making snowballs out of it. And you'd head. I mean, you obviously live in a in a small, uh, well, not small town, but a town in Lincolnshire, don't you? So you would head into town rather than out into the fields. Would would that be your preferable sort of uh, modus operandi? Yeah, I, I think because like, and also like around a town, you, you you quite often you'll know some of the vantage points that work. Um, but then equally, like in a town, it's even more important to be quite quite sort of quick in terms of getting to places because obviously, you know, it, it doesn't take a much for for everything to kind of get you know sort of turned into slush and stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, local sort of local kind of farm. Everything around here is farmland. Uh, really, I mean, there are some woods and stuff. I mean, what, again, I know we we spoke, didn't we, about woods? I think last time or the time before. But um, woods woods are great for snow, you know, mm. particularly kind of you know for not not only for kind of like broader landscapes, but for details and things. Um, and it's one of those things that I think we we were talking about the difficulties of shooting in woodland. When when you have snow in woodland, actually a lot of those difficulties go away because there's so much light bouncing around um, that um, that it's it's kind of you know, exposures are sort of a, a little bit easier as long as you sort of take advantage of the usual, the, those usual tips about you know overexposing slightly for snow to make sure everything's white and doesn't mm. kind of turn grey. So overexposing slightly by by what to what extent does it depend on on whether the sun's out or not? That well that that does make I mean direct sun on snow does make it tricky. It's it's similar to regular landscapes insofar as um you know you, you you're looking for to, to to try and even out the contrast as much as possible um so particularly if, if you've got broken sun on snow sort of areas of unlit snow and lit snow it it, it becomes even more difficult but um I, I think like yeah i mean with, with such a reflective subject it's, it's quite important to compose kind of sensitively for that 
Well, Will, you're nodding along, uh, which means remarkably that you must agree with what Kingsley's saying, which uh, you know makes a change. But but he's speaking sense. He ta he talks the right stuff, does he? Well, kinda. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I think this overexposure for snow thing is um, a bit of a hangover from film days, where you know once you got a shot, you can do much with it. So yeah, when you got backlit sun, yeah, plus two stops was quite important, mm. <clears throat> and um, you know less so when it was was grey and flat overhead. But you can get, you get much you get away with murder nowadays with digital. And of course, you've got this thing called a histogram. So, you know, if in doubt, take a shot, check it. And sure, you don't want um, the highlights to be too veiled because if you push them hard in processing, <clears throat> it can look they can look a bit horrible. But it's not as difficult as it used to be. Put it that way. Mm. Um, so you, yeah, a little bit of exposure won't do any harm. But you know, you can pull it back if you're shooting raw. This is not not just JPEG. But if you are shooting JPEG only, then hey, just check out the histogram and make sure you, even a white scene, you've got plenty of, of, of light-coloured tones to the right-hand side of the histogram. So expose um, but, the right for, for light, basically. Yeah, because you, you've got white subjects. But, I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, we, we all live on the eastern side of England, so, of course, we get less snow. And the biggest problem is for me is that you hear about wonderful snow, and, of course, you, you can't really jump in a car and head up to the Dales or something when, it's, when you've got snow going, because you could be one of these irresponsible people caught out in the snowdrift, and you get rescued by the AA. Um, but for me, the, uh, my favourite part of snow is, is, okay, pristine snow is lovely, but I love it when it's falling and you get nice lumps of, you know, nice big snowdrops, um, mm. snowflakes, and you get out there and you get some, you know, with a slow shutter speed, you get some nice blur perhaps, you get pictures of people struggling with their umbrellas or people pushing, the, you know, helping out, pushing cars up the hill, so, you know, stuff like that. I think there's some excellent pictures to be had if you're, a, if you're stuck in town. And can't get very far and you want some pictures of snow so the scenic opportunities are one thing and kingsley's cover those perfectly well but i, I like some of the, the street the street photography you can get in snow but it, you know we don't get much snow and we had i mean earlier this year where i live in campbell and we did that some snow in january but i think that's the first time for some years where we had good snow absolutely yeah so we're more likely to get something like ice or or frost so what, where, where, where do the opportunities lie there? Kingsley, you've got your hand up. Frost is an absolute, um, absolute gift for kind of landscape photography or sort of town photography, or whatever you know. So whether it's like, and you don't even need like that, you know, the the kind of the big spiky frost, the hoar frost. You mm. don't need that. I mean, that's fantastic if you get it, and mm. you kind of need to be. I, I think usually you need to be further out into the country. Yeah, it side has to be damn that. cold as well for a hoarfrost, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and also for uh, like for other stuff to stack up as well. I think it has to have been slightly wet as well beforehand, doesn't it? But like mm. the um, just the kind of uh, the the fact that everything. Do you know what? It's funny. Like Will Will mentioned video games earlier, and there's there's a kind of there's a modern trait in video games where they kind of use lots of backlighting and kind of put like halos around everything, and that's what frost does. It kind of it sort of it like illuminates and kind of defines foreground detail and stuff. So all you need is you know whether you're out by the river and you're you know you've got rushes or or kind of plants or or even you know if you're in a field and you've got grass, it it, it kind of creates these brilliant kind of it sort of edges everything doesn't it it kind of gives you extra texture it's brilliant i love frost more frost please is it a, a sort of a bit of a broad generalization to say but if it snows then you can go sort of wide but if it's frosty or icy then it's actually a, a good discipline to go close and look for details and, and look for picking out you know bits and bobs I, I wouldn't kind of i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily force it sort of either way i think like if you have like a wide angle shot of a you know, even if, if, you, if you're down in the town park or something and it's and it's frosty, you get sort of sufficiently close to the grass in the foreground or, or something, you know, you're going to get 
leaves, whatever, you're you're going to get that that kind of that brilliant kind of detail. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like in, if if either you've got a kind of a sort of suitable um, standard zoom where you can go to the long end and shoot a bit closer, or you've got your macro um, or your telephoto zoom. You know, you can obviously you can pick out some some kind of good details as well. Mm, excellent. Will you think you're agreeing again? No, I, I'm broadly agreeing. I'll, I'll go the, uh, even closer, though. I would get into the macro world. I mean, I, I had to defrost the car this morning. If, if I had time, I would have got the macro lens out. And because the sun was picking out the frost flakes and it was nice and sparkly. Yeah. So there's opportunities for patterns, too. And um, I, I would get the macro lens and get in a bit closer and have a bit of fun that way. Now, coming back to you again, Will, um, yeah. I'm, I'm expecting, from based on previous podcasts that we've recorded, with your boot full of stuff in the car, that you are just as well prepared for uh, for wintry weather. So, so in terms of making sure that you're wrapped up warm, what what would you be what would you be taking out if you were going to venture out and capture some snowy or frosty images? Yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> it is a good point, and my car is um, fairly well equipped. I've even got an in, entrenching tool from a an army and navy store I bought a few years ago. Which is really handy, of course, if you get caught in a snap drift. Right. Um, that's, that's happened yet. But the things I've got in my car, I've got I have got ponchos for bad weather. That's obviously just rain. But I like those hand warmers. That's something I've I've learned to use. Um, so I've got a couple of packs of hand warmers in the car, and these are these those little packs you buy from outdoor shops that you know you you crack open and they give you heat for uh, eight or nine hours anyway for some while. So when I'm going out in the cold now, I mean obviously I do wear gloves. I often have uh, fingerless mitts because I prefer to have my digits on the camera, which, of course, makes your, your hand very cold afterwards uh, once you've taken a few shots. But I've got these hand warmers in my in my pockets and I have a couple of those active. So if I've gone out, I just stuck stick them in there. And when my hands get cold, I just grab all of these hand warmers and, and warm them up a bit. So they're my favourite accessories at the moment. Um, I have got some heated gloves somewhere as well, but um, I need to sort out the batteries and get them working again. But I prefer, like I said, I, you know, when I'm out shooting, I like to have my fingers actually on the camera or stroke tripod, which mm-hmm. has consequences on your fingers and you do get cold. So those little heating packs you get from outdoor shops, thoroughly recommended. Excellent. Now, this does remind me of one of my favourite stories that Kingsley told on the podcast before, where he was explaining that I believe he was in Norway and managed to get his tongue stuck to his tripod, <laughs> if, if I recall. So presumably, Kingley, you have learnt that and have now bought either a carbon fibre tripod or some form of tongue warming device <laughs> for, you to, for you to go out and use. Is that right? Yeah, what what I mean, incredible thing to pick between this. I don't know whether I should go into this story again, and maybe we should just direct it to people towards it via the advent calendar thing. Um, yes. yes. In, in, in short, if, if it's minus 40... Uh, don't stick your tongue out anywhere near anything metal. But what what about Kingsley in terms of um, your kit? So obviously Will's covered off the stuff like you know hand warmers, fingerless gloves, all very useful. I'm sure I'm, you know if he hasn't mentioned it, I'm sure it would include you know a nice warm jacket and a and a hat, etc., and warm boots, what have you. What about what about kit, Kingsley? What what can you do to keep your kit um, cozy and warm, or as cozy and warm as possible? Um, I, th- I think like I mean, mod- modern cameras, like when you get a new camera or lens come out these days, they always make a point of listing the fact that it can be used down to like minus 10. Like if you if you're sort of lucky enough to get out in such interesting conditions, um, I think like th- there are the usual things about like 
batteries run down faster in the cold. So like, you know, you take spare batteries, keep them in an internal pocket near your body, all that kind of stuff. Um, I like in terms of using kit, like it's not it's not a problem to take warm stuff out into the cold so much as it is the opposite way around, because that's when you get fogging. Mm. But like generally, I, I the one sort of something that springs to mind is is to try and be a little bit extra sort of fastidious in your camera bag packing uh sort of before you go out in the cold because you don't want to you don't really want to mess around too much standing around in the cold like so for instance like if you're i don't know if if you're if you use an l bracket make sure it's on the camera first so you don't have to fit it you know or find the allen key to fit it mm. and that kind of thing or you know uh, make sure that you're your 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 filter holder is set up with the right kind of stepping ring or whatever so that you're not you know because otherwise it can you, you don't want to be kind of hanging around too long if it, especially if it's kind of if it's really really cold but like kind of going going back to kind of i mean i guess this is where photography overlaps so much with 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 sort of tips that you pick up from kind of hill walkers and hikers and stuff like that because mm-hmm. so much of the pleasure of shooting in the in in those kind of conditions is down to keeping yourself comfortable and you know like dressing in layers rather than just having some massive kind of puffer jacket on but also things like don't like if if you can if you have the sort of bag that supports it like one of these landscape uh sort of friendly camera bags that has two sections has a camera compartment and a top section you know put your extra clothing in the top section for when you're walking to a location because otherwise it's really easy to overheat and get a bit sweaty and then mm. you get to a cold location stop suddenly you're sweaty and it and that's really mm. unpleasant so like mm. you know there, there's like a there's a scandinavian tip which is something about like when you start a walk you should be slightly too cold just a little bit too cold so that your body warms up as you walk um and but if you've got like a you know body warmer or a puffer jacket leave that in your bag until you get to the location mm. and then you know, but also remember your hat. Um, I've never really found gloves that. I mean, it's okay walking around with gloves and stuff, but like, I've never really found a set of those. You know, those sort of camera-specific gloves with, you know, fingers that come off and stuff like that. I've never really found a set that were that were that good. No, I think I remember going around the, the photography show a couple of years ago, and there were some people selling winter gloves for photographers, and I did buy. Obviously, I'm a marketing man's dream, so I did buy a pair of these darn gloves, and they are very good. But um, if you had to say to me right now where they had, if I land my hands on them, I wouldn't have a clue. I'd have to have a rummage, and having spent eighty quid, maybe I should find them again. There's, there's, there's something else about like about about all weather jackets that um, like it should be obvious, but a lot of people kind of don't know it necessarily. But like good out outdoor jackets often have like different types of pocket. They have like external pockets which are used mainly for accessories and stuff but then they have um have sort of um more kind of fleecy lined pockets Hmm. so like it's just silly things like that like using the right pockets don't expect your hands to warm up if you're putting them in an external pocket that's only got like a um like a nylon outer or something because that's not going to help just wanted to say on batteries do be careful if you are putting them into pockets because you may have uh, coins and keys in there and if you've got the contacts showing then obviously you need to be you need to put make sure the battery covers on or put them in a little bag or box or something so you don't get the metal contacts um visible but no i, I keep it really simple roger i mean um kingsley's mentioned actually these pockets but i have one 
which is um, kind of over my heart, if you like. Um, people put their phones in there, but I often put camera batteries in there mm. to help keep warm. But, you know, you know, I, I think it's, it's been fine. I'm out for it, to be honest. I've been photographing in minus 10 and battery life has been pretty good. I mean, certainly fairly acceptable. I mean, I've, I've been to Churchill photographing polar bears. Um, okay, we're inside a van. So when we were moving, the, the you know, the... Um, the Tundra vehicle was quite warm, but when we stopped to photograph, all the windows were open mm. and bitterly, bitterly cold. And we, the batteries for me lasted several hundred shots, no problem at all. Um, so long as you've got good, you know, batteries that are in good condition, perhaps a genuine thing, I suppose, a third party maybe. Mm -hmm. so I know it's tempting to spend, save money in buying third party, but maybe they don't have the life of the the art genuine article and that's that's worth considering okay good well that's that's great and i think there's some good useful tips there hopefully uh, that will help guide you a little bit with your cold weather photography do take care obviously it can be slippy and a bit dangerous out there so uh, do take care if you're out taking pictures go on kingsley are you going to tell us the slipping or falling over story <laughs> yeah, no, I've, no i was just going to say i've just <laughs> slipped over it was really it's really bad um I was going to say I was going to be a bit of a bore and talk about this, like you, you you mentioned the safety aspects and like so whether you're going out on your own or with someone else like it's always preferable to overpack um, mm. with 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 warm clothing and you know sort of let people know where you are and like something we're, we're very I know like we tend to be a little bit more kind of landscape and nature photography kind of based but if you're going out and doing sort of portraits or something then you know it's sort of about thinking about making sure that your your subject is comfortable as well and kind of packing hot drinks and extra clothing you mm. know for them um yeah I've, i'm sure that will has got a hip flask right <laughs> um well i've got several but um <laughs> i always forget that. well alcohol of course is not good for you because it um, enhances heat loss but that said when, when when in Lafutin I was doing the Northern Lights, I did have the hippie handy. Um, I wasn't worried about heat loss because you want to get back into a nice warm car afterwards. But it's yeah, not like many generally. So I, I was, I was, I was criticised by some outdoor people for, for kind of, for that that sort of hip flask thing once, and I, and then I was reminded of the kind of the St Bernard with the with the drum of the brandy, brandy, drum. Brandy, brandy which yeah. must be like i guess basically that is just sort of like 18th 19th 18th century sort of thinking that like well, if you've had a drink you'll probably be all right isn't it so Far you don't from. have your dogs walking around at home with a small wooden barrel underneath their chin That's do you know what what, what, a, what a brilliant idea <laughs> get on it immediately <laughs> we shall move on to some reader questions. First one comes from a chap called Bob Smart, who emailed in after listening to our late, our last podcast. And he said, I'm currently a D850 user and want to make the switch to mirrorless, but can't decide between the Z7 Mark II and the Z9. What does the team think are the defining differences? Now, presumably, apart from the fact that one costs a couple of thousand pounds more than the other, um, Kingsley, I'm going to come to you because uh, you're a, you're very similar to Bob. Well, I think you both are actually D850 user looking to switch to mirrorless. You've actually got a Mark a Z7 Mark II. Yeah. So, what yeah. are the defining differences? What what reasons would he have to go for the Z7 Mark II or the Z or the Z9? Well, like, I, I suppose it like it comes. It's a horses for courses thing, isn't it? it it's like the, the the for a long time the Z7 and the Z7 II were top of Nikon's mirrorless 
range and now they're not and the camera that's replaced them at the top is is basically a professional workhorse and has all the features sort of of that and and like it's primary i mean you know arguably it's primarily aimed at um you know uh, sports and action photographers and news news people you know who sort of demand the you know tip-top performance and kind of rugged build and, and all of that kind of stuff i mean like it, it does it would come down to um you know what what bob's using the camera for i certainly found that i've enjoyed the z7 II being a bit smaller and lighter than the uh the the d850 and and also so th- this weekend just gone i was using the uh the nikon z14 to 30 f4 the sort of the the smaller of the two wide angle um zooms in that range and um like it's incredibly sort of small and light package mm. um so that we, and I, I, I suppose the kind of the comparable version of that would have been the d850 and the 1635 uh, F4, which like I, I don't have the numbers, but I'd imagine it probably weighs a kilogram more, you know, which is which is significant if you are going on a, a on a on a yomp. Okay, so you're basically saying that the, the defining differences are if Bob wants a smaller, lighter kit, um, then the Z7 Mark II is probably the right choice, and also if he's a sort of if he wants a rugged pro spec camera, then maybe that the the Z9 has the has the takes the nod. Would you, yeah. would you yeah would you say that's yeah. that's pretty much it yeah i mean like the the um and that there are things that kind of like people so i i myself will have will have mentioned that the fact that the kind of the the, the evf is way superior on the z9 i would love one i hope to get one if i can afford it eventually um and you know the frame rate and everything but it's like it's one of those kind of super 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 performing cameras mm-hmm. you know and you do, you are in danger of over-specking to an extent. And I, I, I was shooting, like I said, pictures of my dog running around on the beach um, this weekend. And through using the the the, the Z72 more and more, I can get ninety nine percent of those pictures sharp. And it's a large dog moving at some pace um, mm. on a long lens. And it's about using it properly. Like it's not, it can't compete with the Z9. But if mm. you use it properly, it works brilliantly. So, you know it's and it's it's a like in many ways when the when the z9 sorry the z7 came out everyone called it a mirrorless d850 and in a lot of ways it is so right it's, good you know, it's a good a good a good replacement okay will anything to add um i think it's covered it all off but i mean um well firstly bob's a lucky chap being able to have the choice between the two but uh, of course one big thing about about the cameras for me i mean i know the nikon z9 has got electronic shutter only and the most intelligent AF ever in a Nikon camera, but it's also got a deep body to it, and that's something that needs to be considered because, you know, the thing about the Z7, if you had a bad battery pack to the Z7 or Z7 II, yes, it becomes the size of the the Z9, but the point is you can take the thing off. So when you want to travel light, it um it, it's much more of an easier proposition to take a wrap bag. So it depends on what, what Bob wants to shoot. I mean, if he's wanted to shoot super duper fast action. And he wants a track focus with a long lens, then there, there is only one choice, and and that is the Z9. Mm. But if he just wants to do landscape, a few portraits, a bit of general photography, but a street, no question, get the Z7 too. It just makes more sense. And and the the couple of grand you save, of course, you can put towards some some nice glass to go on the front of it. So I mean, point. got in an envelope position, but assuming he's not shooting um, press type pictures. That, to me, is only one choice. 
Or, of course, the other thing you could do is wait for the much rumoured oh, Z8, which could be the high resolution Nikon to come, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Just start that rumour going. Good stuff. All right. Well, there you go, Bob. Hopefully that you've got an answer there. Um, I think you can pick out the detail from that. So, Will, I'm going to come straight back to you on the next one, uh, which comes from H. Selena um, via email. Don't know the first name. I've been taking pictures for about two years and now have so many that I need to empty my computer's hard drive and copy them somewhere else. Um, I'm considering saving all of my images in the cloud rather than on a separate drive. Do you think that's a good idea? Now, Will, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and you had a what sounded like an extremely sensible suggestion. So why don't you uh, explain that? Well, I, I just want, well, first thing to say to H is, you've only been taking pictures for two years, but you never have your pictures just in one place anyway. So if they're on your computer's hard drive, um, well, get them off there and get them copied because you should have at least two copies and preferably three copies of pictures if you possibly can. So you could have, for instance, you know, you could have your pictures on the computer, fine, if you've got enough space, but then have an external drive where you've got copies of them. And what you could do is have ex copies again on another external drive. You, If you can, keep them off site. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, here I'm in London at the moment, so I've now got some pictures with Annie here on a on an eight terabyte drive. So I know that if something happens back home, I've always got some pictures somewhere. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing I said to H is one, don't keep them in one place. And, and I'd encourage him or her to have an external drive. And they're not that expensive. I mean, we've just had Black Friday and I bought another eight terabyte drive and it's about 150 quid. But you don't have to buy anything that big, you know, if he's been photographing for two years, mm. it's probably only got a couple of terabytes worth of pictures, if that. So buy one of these portable drives, they're 60, 50 quid, wherever they are, uh, and just, you know, store them on that. So, I mean, that, that's one view. And the other view, of course, is that you can keep them online, but I, I certainly wouldn't keep all my pictures online because it just, it's just so difficult getting them up there. It takes ages and managing them is, is an issue. And I, I have an Amazon Prime account, and there you can store all your still images. I think the limit on video is five gigs, gigabytes, but on stills, you can put everything up there. But mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't dream of putting all my stuff up there because it would just be, well, tedious for one, and also managing them, them is something else. But, you know, I, I would just, my simple advice, if he wants or she wants to go online with your with his storage, pick your very, very best pictures, the ones that, emotionally mean more to you than anything else or, or or potential award winners and just get them up online be it on amazon be it on google be it on adobe they're endless and you know he may have a web server that offers free storage there are any many many way many ways of storing stuff online but i wouldn't put my whole archive online now i've got i mean i've got about ugh, 12 terabytes worth of images and you know what my <laughs> my raid crashed recently and I've had to reload it, so I've had to take lots of stuff off it, and I'm now putting stuff on it. It takes days, mm -hmm. and I certainly wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put all that stuff on. It just takes too long. Sure. Okay. Great. Uh, Kingsley, anything to add? Are you a cloud fan? Uh, I'd probably I'd go along with what Will said, but I mean, only I, I think I guess it depends. Basically, if you're if you're in some metropolis and you're getting kind of these amazing broadband speeds, mm. then maybe you think differently, but I don't think I'd trust it to kind of. It's a good backup, though, isn't it? I mean, it's a good sort of 
it's a good kind of you know like it it's the equivalent of an offsite backup like I, i've probably said before but i have a i like once every six months i i sort of mirror my drive and i give it to a friend to stick in his loft mm. you know so like and and you know i guess if if the meteorite hits our town then uh we're not going to care too much so <laughs> um but yeah like i mean and partly i what one i suppose one thing i would say is if you know having sort of only been shooting for a couple of years like unless unless they've been shooting a lot um in those two years sort of now's the time to be a, be a little bit more disciplined in what you throw away like the stuff that you don't keep like i would and you know, this is kind of fairly um easy to kind of come up with yourself i suppose but like i would you you, you n- never throw away holiday snaps and and kind of and little things you've taken a family and trips and christmas and whatever else if you've if like me you have 20 different versions of every scene you've ever shot that's the point at which you can probably go like well i could do without 80 percent of these yeah. but like i went i went down a folder the other day because i was looking for an old in fact, you know, it's something to do with the PN advent calendar because um, some, someone said, you know, do, do you have any pictures of you with old cameras and stuff? So I went I went and looked down this folder and there were like loads of pictures that I'd completely forgotten about, like funny family things and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like that, that is the stuff that you really need to be very kind of careful about not losing. Mm, absolutely so there, there you go hopefully that's a that's a useful answer to you so so not necessarily putting all of your eggs in one cloud-based basket and instead still keeping some local storage but whatever you do h make sure you get them off your uh your computer hard drive and at least one copy made okay so last question comes from a chap called jack ash uh, and he says uh, some lovely christmas lights have gone up in my local town and i'd like to have a go at photographing them can you give me any useful tips? Kingsley, you live in a small town or a lot. I've called it small twice now. <laughs> That's never, like, isn't it? You live yeah. in a town. <laughs> yeah, small, small town, big ideas, Rog. That's small town, big ideas. So why don't you start? Because I would imagine it, look, your your place looks very picturesque with Christmas lights and what have you. What what would you do if you were going out to photograph those lights? Um, I suppose it's the similar thing to talking about the snow stuff, isn't it? it it's the way different seasonality affects scenes and and kind of puts a a new perspective on them and you you know you can you you can arguably just kind of go to the places that you know work pretty well and and kind of have another have a shot there i i guess like i i particularly like with with christmas lights i quite like um using sort of shallow depth of field and getting quite close to them to frame other things you know um so you know and i guess you know and if you've got family around and you're shooting kind of kind of wintry christmasy portraits that's quite a good kind of um opportunity there as well i mean equally if you can get up high sometimes that works like um certainly there are church towers around here that um the the uh the, the sort of the local what do you call them I know, people that run churches um churchists <laughs> vicars i don't know they're, they're quite happy to let you um something if you ask nicely they're quite happy you know make a donation they're quite happy to let you scurry up their church town occasionally um to do you know those sort of things i guess you know equally it's if, if if it's safe to do so um it's a nice time to get the drone out if you've got a if you've got access to a drone you can do some sort of interesting stuff like that but yeah i mean i i, I think it's kind of it's it's working out what appeals to you normally and then trying to fit those lights into it isn't it so given that you've uh, you've previously mentioned that you're a bit of a fan of a traffic trail is it an opportunity to you know get the get a pick a road going through the town um get the lights around it bit of a traffic trail tripod down by the side of the road etc 
I don't know. Is, is that is that I'm, I'm sort of I don't know. Is that a bit too much light? I, I'm not sure. I like. Do you know what I like this time of year is 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 shooting um, shop fronts. That's nice. If you kind of go around with like a like particularly if you go around with a sort of 35 mil or something and you, you know, you get that kind of glow, get it at the right time of day where you're kind of mixing the, you know, the 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 um the artificial light is just getting a little bit stronger than the kind of natural light, maybe, and you're kind of mixing it up a little bit. That's that's quite fun. And you kind of get that sort of nice glowing, cozy look. Will, you've got stuff to add. <laughs> I just want to take issue with Kingston. I can't believe he suggested <laughs> Oh, let's say use a drone to photograph Christmas lights. <laughs> Good God, man. I can imagine there'd be drones in trees and you know, like wires across the street all around, all around the UK. <laughs> oh, that's a terrible bit of advice, Kingsley, in my view. And of course, <laughs> Don't worry, we'll take it out in the edit. Yeah, edit that. Edit, that's terrible. I certainly say that Jack would, would, you know, take a tripod and, you know, shoot. You don't have to shoot at high ISOs, but, you know, take a tripod and, and get more of the... Um, the you know, because the thing is, if you expose for the light themselves, the lights themselves, you don't get much detail in the background. And I think you need a bit more overexposure um, to get some detail around the lights because you can get away with murder nowadays. But I, I would, yeah, I'd certainly try different things. I would like to try uh, zoom bursts. And that is where you you open the shutter, keep the shutter open while you operate the zoom of your lens. You can either zoom into the scene or you can zoom out. Hmm. The effects are different. So i will certainly try zoom bursts. I would also, as well, if you if you've got them, use a star filter or or make your own star filter with some um, uh, some petroleum jelly on a on a skylight filter. Hang on, hang on. I'm 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 being hung up here for like suggesting a drone thing, and then like and, and now I'm getting zoom bursts and star filters. In Will's defence, it's not likely to cause injury to anybody <laughs> other than other than the uh, the photographic oh, well. gods who may who may wreak havoc on them, but. Oh. I would I, I I would rejoin to that that the the conscientious drone pilot never causes any any danger with, for which I, the fraternity that I'm in. <laughs> well, I've, I've no doubt there are. I'm not saying you know drone flyers are irresponsible, but they are annoying to people under, underneath. And I was up uh, my local hall recently photographing the sunset when the drone zipped past, and I wish <laughs> I had an air gun because I would love to have taken that out. Um, but but that aside, I'm just thinking about the the, the health and safety of your your own drone in flying it at night and what would be the point because i'm not sure what good pictures you'd get but maybe that's just me you can have fun without a drone by being ground-based and i would say to jack you know by all means photograph the lights but then try stuff like zoom bursts try multiple exposures as well i mean most cameras now let you do multiple exposures so you shoot one with the light in perfect focus and then you defocus and photograph your second image and you get some nice halo effects so i, I think there's certainly some pictures to be had and Perhaps if you get your act together, Jack, go shoot some pictures now, and then get them printed using one of these photo services. You'll, you know, get your your pictures on a on a festive card of your own. So rather than buy um, these mass-produced Christmas cards, make your own for some of the pictures you've taken recently, um, and make a thing of it. I think it's a great thing to do. Well, who knew that that a simple, humble question about Christmas lights <laughs> would have created such well, animosity between. <laughs> between the pair of you so let's let's speedily try and wrap this podcast up by uh ending as we always do with a will's word of wisdom which presumably kingsley will take immediate umbrage to <laughs> can't wait so, so oh. will regale us with your word of wisdom to end to round out this this uh this time around 
Well, I think this feature is not available on drones at the moment, but maybe please do correct me. But I was going to suggest our readers, our listeners use um, aspect ratios for, for a bit of fun, either to, to, to hone their compositions or to just try different things. Um, and I was, I was shooting some landscapes recently and I had the aspect ratio um, feature assigned to a function button so I could quickly zip through different compositions because I've been I've been rather enjoying shooting 16 by 9 format pictures so and that's on a medium format camera and that's why I was doing it so you, you can do that and you can just basically explore different uh, compositions to because obviously it's easy to do once you're back home at the uh, in front of the computer but mm -hmm. trying on site is is something which is um, interesting actually it makes you think about your competition far more so I had the camera on the tripod as I say the aspect ratio set to a function button and I was just trying different compositions you know I was trying panoramic trying square trying 16 by 9 and the default 4 by 3 and just having a bit of fun and the camera I was using I was using it on a Fujifilm and also speaking of Fujifilm I've just been testing the the X-T30 Mark II which is a relatively entry-level uh, mid-level camera and you you know that features are available on that and the, the beauty of it is I found that you can shoot with this aspect ratio engaged and I shoot JPEG and RAW and the RAWs are still full frame after full size afterwards mm. so shot square pictures and the J, your JPEGs are square your, your RAWs are still fine so you can still crop afterwards now that might not apply to every camera brand so you do have to check this and if you are shooting square and your camera only gives you square rows at the end of it for instance then yeah by all means you need to make sure that you know you've got all the compositions covered and you may have to shoot full frame full format afterwards to make sure you've got your options catered for but give it a go i, I found it a great experience and um, it, it, it is good i have to agree i did go through a period of time where i shot everything square and it and it, it um it was kind of uh, it's also very instagram friendly if you do that but um yeah it is it is a really good discipline and actually from a compositional perspective it it, it really does uh, make for some uh, for some good images kingsley no doubt let's give you the opportunity to completely disagree or, or are you um are you are you on board with this particular word of wisdom i don't agree with any of that at all Rog. <laughs> stick to <laughs> stick to a good british three to two that's what i say or a or a four to three if you've got a micro four thirds no i of course i completely agree that you should mix up your aspect ratio depending on the subject you're shooting excellent excellent well we shall wrap up there um before there is any more disagreement so <laughs> That just leaves me to say thank you to hand warmer fanboy and drone disliker, Will Chung. Thanks, Will. I'm not a drone disliker, Roger. You got me wrong. It's for, it's in the arena of Christmas light photography. I don't think it works. Oh, I see. I see. I <laughs> so don't, don't, don't get me wrong, drone users everywhere. Um, a pleasure as always, uh, Roger and Kingsley, and to our listeners. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Indeed. And thank you also to Star Trail and Advent Canada hater and Will <laughs> Chung naysayer, Mr. Kingsley Singleton. Thank you, Kingsley. Thanks. That was um, cathartic, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just taken out all the angst that has been created from your yeah. four or five hour drive back from Denver, I yeah. think. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much, chaps. And uh, thank you also for listening. And we'll speak to you again before too long. Cheers. Mm -hmm.